Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. Welcome back into episode number 12 of The Sitch with Grant Mitchell. Now, got to admit, a little frustrated at the moment. Want to know why? Because I just recorded an entire hour-long show to nobody but myself because the audio didn't record. That's right. None of you get to hear what we're talking about. It's like we're having a back-to-back special, a doubleheader that nobody got to hear the first part of. Not even me because the audio didn't record. Just got to hear it in real time as I was saying it to myself and these four empty walls. But never mind that, guys. We are going to have another another great show. And we missed last week's episode. So t- can I get away with saying we missed last week's episode so I did a doubleheader today? Is that going to hold up in the court of law? Whatever. Look, I really missed you guys last week. Really wanted to be in front of the camera. But you got to understand, there's so much going on in the world of sports right now. And it's a great time to be a sports fan. We've got the NHL playoffs. We've got the NBA playoffs. We've got the Tampa Bay Rays getting ready to meet the Pittsburgh Pirates in the World Series. We've got European soccer. We've got the transfer portal. We've got the NFL draft. We've got so much going on. But because we have so much going on also means that I am working extremely long hours. We're talking all-nighters. We're talking multiple nights of one, two hours of sleep in a row back-to-back. Maybe that's why the audio didn't record. Maybe my real stupid self forgot to press the record. That's not what happened. The audio was just... I don't, I don't know, the file corrupted. But whatever, guys, let's go ahead and let's dump, jump right into the show. But before we do, make sure you guys have subscribed to the channel. I am posting all the time. We've got the full-length podcast episodes. Then we've got individual segments. We've got shorts. We've got all sorts of crazy stuff coming. And please, please, takes one second. Just leave a thumbs up on this video. Really helps me out, and I really do appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. Also, comment. Let me know what you guys are going to be watching in the sports world throughout the next week. That's going to do it for that intro, and let's get into the meat of the show. We are starting with the NBA playoffs. Now, I'm going to talk about all of these series, and I'm going to give you my betting picks for all of these series as we head into their next games in the series. Now, I can't talk about every game Um, I'm going to be talking about some of the games on Wednesday. I can't talk about every Wednesday game because I'm recording this Monday at noon now. Recorded the first part of Monday morning, but uh, can't talk about some of the Wednesday games because I need to find out what's happened in their Monday games when they play. So we're still going to touch on all the series that are going on right now. And that starts with the Milwaukee Bucks versus the Miami Heat. And a blessing in disguise of my audio corrupting from the first hour is that I was able to look at my phone and check myself, check my updates, and Giannis is going to be playing in Game 4. He will return to the lineup. That's what the reports are saying, barring a setback in the warmups, which has shifted the line because an hour ago, this was at um, it was at minus 6 for the Bucks, and it's up to minus 7. So they're giving them an extra point just because Giannis is back. Now, the Heat wins in this series. They're leading the series 2-1, to one, so credit to the Heat. But both of their wins have been bits of admirations. Admirations? Aberrations. That's the word I'm looking for. In Game 1, Giannis goes down injured in the first quarter, and he doesn't come back. Now, I know you can say they had three quarters to adjust. Mike Budenholzer is a championship coach, and he's got to be better than that, get his team ready to adjust on the fly. Yeah, look, you spend a whole few days, entire few days, coming up with your game plan and you're getting ready to stick to it. And all of a sudden that completely changes when you lose your best player and maybe the best player in the league, undoubtedly the best player in the league, maybe the best defensive player in the league. So I don't blame them for losing game one. They win game two, they bounce back, score a ton of points, really impressive from all the role players. And then they lose game three, again, the second aberration in the series, which is a game in which the Heat shoot 12 of 19 from three in the first half, set a playoff franchise record for most threes made in a half of basketball. So game one, game three, both their wins, not repeatable, not sustainable, not real formulas to victory, just one-offs that allowed them to get wins. So I was picking the Bucks to cover the spread at minus six before this game, assuming Giannis was not going to play. 
I'm going to pick them to cover the spread of minus seven now that Giannis is going to play. I think you've seen Chris Middleton proving that he is back to his all-star self. Is he at his 110% playoff peak form? Probably not. He still has off nights here and there. But he was sensational in game one. Very, very good in game three. What I was saying he really needed to hope for was that Drew Holiday picks it up. Because as good as he did on defense, and I know he had 16 assists in the game, you need him to be more of a scoring threat. But with Giannis coming back, that's going to compact the floor for the Heat. They're going to find more looks for open shooters. That was something the Bucs really struggled with in game three. Their usual shooters, they weren't able to enjoy as much space because there was nobody in the middle attracting the, the presence that Giannis did. So, got the Bucs winning a big game here. Again, need more production from Holiday, but Middleton is playing well. think they're going to tie the series up at 2-2, and they're going to head back to Milwaukee where they're probably going to win that series. The next series that we're going to talk about, the Los Angeles Lakers versus the Memphis Grizzlies. Now, before this series started, I placed a futures bet on the Grizzlies to win game one and the Lakers to win the series. I also had the game, the series going six games, had the Lakers winning 4-2, but I didn't bet that. Most of my futures bets in the first rounds were money. I had the Knicks at plus one and a half games, which already can't fail. I had the Kings winning their series, which we're going to get to later. I had the Sixers sweeping, which is hit. I had the Nuggets winning game one and the series, which is going to hit. And I had the Lakers, like I just said, losing game one, winning the series. That's the one that I was, you can say I was very off on. And I was surprised because the Grizzlies had the best home record in the NBA. They were 35 and six. I didn't expect the Lakers to walk in after just playing in the playing game and going to overtime in that playing game and be able to take a win. But that's exactly what they did. And they were also dominant in game three. They led 35 to nine at the end of the first quarter. That tied an NBA playoff record for largest lead at the end of, of the first quarter. And John Morant was just unbelievable, unreal, amazing. Every superlative that you can think of. 45 points, 13 rebounds, 9 assists, shot 6 of 10 from 3. It's over 50% from the field. Scored 22 straight points in the fourth quarter. He went full-on LeBron versus the Pistons against LeBron, but it didn't matter. You, you can't go up 35-9 to nine and really be in danger of ever losing that game. I know it was a nine-point game late in the fourth quarter. Spare me. The Lakers were never going to lose that game. And part of the reason they were never going to lose that game was because they got Jaron Jackson Jr. into foul trouble early. Jaron Jackson Jr., one of the most foul-prone players in the NBA, led the league in fouls per game. Carl Anthony Towns was second. He was also averaging four and a half fouls per game in his playoff career heading into this series, which is what made it so impressive that he was able to stay out of harm's way in the first two games. Lakers also shot more free throws per game than any team in the league, so I thought for sure Jackson Jr. was going to be fouling out, and that's gonna, that was going to propel the Lakers to victory in this series. Again, first two games he was solid, but he was up to his old habits in game three, had to go out of the game a couple of times uh, prematurely before Taylor Jenkins wanted to take him out. And when he came back on the court, he wasn't that good defensively. He had to play a little more passively. And on offense, he had no rhythm. Nobody on the Grizzlies really had any sort of rhythm. Desmond Bain was the only one who shot 50% and actually scored decent points alongside Morant. I expect them to be better, to be better, excuse me, in game four. Um, but one thing that one thing that was really going to continue to hurt these guys, Dylan Brooks, three of thirteen from the field, gets an ejection, one of five from three. I can't help but think about how good the Grizzlies would be if they got rid of Dylan Brooks. And I know he wants to say that the media is painting a picture about him and has been for the last two years. Look, you can't live up and and, and uh, you can't relish in the fact that you are the devil and that everybody hates you and everyone's out to get you. And then all of a sudden you get ejected and you're playing bad after you called out LeBron James and now you want to play the victim card. That's not how it works, buddy. 
look, you're a good defender, and the Grizzlies would be better. You, The Grizzlies would be – I mean, they're already good, but they could be really, really, really good with you on the team. If you just stop shooting so much, I don't know if it's him making these conscious decisions. I don't know if Taylor Jenkins is for some reason green-lighting him on the court, but he is such a detriment on offense. He basically shot them out of the game in the first quarter. He's either got to become purely a defensive guy – They've got to look at bringing someone else in there for three and D, a Cam Johnson, an OG Ananobi. I don't, I mean, they're not going to get Mikael Bridges now. Bridges has already played himself into a huge new contract, but they need somebody to come in and fill that role that is either going to make those shots or take fewer of them. Um, let me let me get back to the picks here. Look, I got the Lakers winning this one. I think they're cover, they're going to cover the four and a half points. They're two and one against the spread in this series. Lakers prefer to be at home. If you can make it three one in the series, we know that it's effectively over unless you happen to be playing LeBron James. And lucky for the Lakers, LeBron James is on their team. They employ him, so I think they can get that job done at home. I still think it's going to go six. I, I think the Lakers. They're just. There's too many nights where they just show up with no energy and no no focus. Like it, it happens all the time. That's why the Grizzlies won game two, a game in which Xavier Tillman was the best player on the court. And Tillman's a good role player, but in no stretch of the imagination should he be the best player in this series that includes Desmond Bain, Anthony Davis, LeBron James, D'Angelo Russell, anybody like that. So think it's going to happen to them. And that's that's part of the beast of the burden that you have or the burden of the beast that you have with a 38-year-old LeBron James in his 20th season being your best player and an injury-prone and, and sometimes low-motor Anthony Davis as well. I mean, that's why the Lakers always try to get Anthony Davis so many shots early in the game is because he can just wander through the game. You can't accuse him of being a disengaged defensively. He's averaging five blocks per game in the series, but we know that what he, we know the, the poor nights that he's prone to on offense. But Lakers win that game. They cover the spread of four and a half points. We move on to Tuesday's games, the Boston Celtics versus the Atlanta Hawks. And, guys, I'm just going to say it right now. This series is over. This series was over before it started. I predicted this was ending in five. I think that's exactly what's going to happen. You just look up and down the lineups. Look at the players when they stand next to each other on the court. The Celtics are taller, faster, stronger, better. There's – there's really no schematic way in which the Hawks win this series. They're going to have to have a historic shooting night, and the Celtics are going to have to have a pretty terrible shooting night for the Celtics to lose this game. The Celtics have shot over 40% from three in every game bar one, and I want to say they still shot 39% in that game. They're shooting 42.2% from beyond the arc in this series. What they're doing such a good job of is they're playing five outs so everybody's outside of the perimeter, and they're using their size and their strength and their power to drive the ball and collapse the lane, and then they're able to kick it out to open shooters. And these, everybody on the Celtics can shoot, including everybody that comes off the bench Everyone except for Robert Williams that's getting minutes can make a lot of threes. And they've got a lot of guys shooting over 40% too, and they've got a lot of guys shooting over 40% in this series. Jalen Brown wasn't even that good in the first few games. He only got going in the last game. And, of course, the Hawks had no chance in that one. Series was over before it started. I already said that. But it's it's over right now. I do want to talk about Trey Young real quick before we move on out of this series. He has to be excellent just to mitigate the negative impact of his defense. And he's not a terrible defender in and of himself. He's just so small and diminutive that he can't help it, especially going against a team with big guards like the Celtics and big wings. Like he he had 35 and 15, and he made 40% of his threes, and he had an even plus minus. And it was the same thing in game three. He didn't have the same box score. It was still good, but he had an even plus minus. It's 
like I was saying, his defense just hurts this Hawks team so much that not only does he have to be excellent just to cancel it out, but for them to win, he needs other players on his team to be excellent. And the Hawks don't have the supporting cast that you can always count on that to happen. Now, DeJounte Murray was good, 25-9-7. DeAndre Hunter was actually great. He had 25-7, and or 27-7, and excuse me. But they lost that game. They're going to lose. It's going back to the Garden. I don't see the Celtics losing this one. I think they want to rest up as much as they can, or at least they want to stop the Sixers from resting because that's what they're doing right now. They're waiting to see who wins the series, and obviously it's going to be the Celtics. And Joel Embiid has a, has a, has a knee problem. If you can get that series going before he's back, or even if he comes back before he's at his healthiest, that's what you want to do. So the Celtics win this one. The Hawks cover the spread. It's 12 points. That's a huge spread, and their backs are up against the wall. Their season's facing an elimination, and Trey Young might not be back in Atlanta when the next NBA season starts. So I don't think he's going to go out without with a whimper. But Hawks cover, Celtics win that game, probably in the region of 6 to 10 points, somewhere around there. The next game on our list, the Minnesota Timberwolves versus the Denver Nuggets. Anthony Edwards just tied, or no, he, excuse me, he moved into second place in the all-time playoff list for 30-point scoring games for players 24 or younger. He has completely taken over this team, and I would say it's kind of about damn time. You've got to get Carl Anthony Towns out of there. Look, I know Towns has so much talent, and he can be so valuable when he is at his best. This is a 6-10 big man with post moves and size. How much is he? 270, 280? Like he's a big dude. He can throw people around. He can make 40% of his threes. He can be he can be a good distributor of the basketball. He can be a decent defender. Not a great defender, but a decent defender. But that Anthony Davis problem of him having a low motor sometimes. I mean, Carl Anthony Towns just has that on steroids. You cannot count on him. You're you're just as likely to get 11 points and five rebounds from him as you are a 30 point double double. It's it's so tragic to watch for a player that got that's got so many gifts. I mean, the guy the guy doesn't even trust himself. He doesn't even have enough self confidence to keep his voice at the same octave when he's in different situations. If he's on a podcast or if he's talking to girls on the sideline interviews, then women I should say women during the sideline interviews. Then he has a deep voice and he wants to change it. But when he's on the court and he's cheering on his teammates, he's got a high pitched voice. It's not somebody you want to be the face of your franchise. It's just simply not. He's got so much talent, but you've got to get him out of there. Turn this team over to Anthony Edwards, please. Not only is his talent and his production off the charts and still has room to grow when he gets more share of the ball, when the ball's in his hands more, but he's just showing you he has the attitude or the mentality that you want of a leader. Think back to when the Phoenix Suns made the Kevin Durant trade. Anthony Edwards said in an interview, he said, everybody's talking about the Suns got Kevin Durant now. Well, guess what? We got Jaden McDaniels. With all due respect to Jaden McDaniels, not even close to Kevin Durant. I mean, you would trade 20 Jaden McDaniels to get Kevin Durant on your team. But that's the confidence that Anthony Edwards has in his guys. And even before this last game, the game four, which the Timberwolves won, I should have started with that. The series is 3-1 Nuggets. The Timberwolves won game four. Anthony Edwards is saying, yeah, I know we're in a hole, but we're going back to our home court. And, you know, this, this is where we thrive. And, like, we're not going out like this. They don't know what's coming for them. We're going to win this game. All that. That's what you want to hear from him. And to his credit, he went out there and he was the best player on the court. Actually, that's not true. He was the second best player on the court. And he was sensational. But Nikola Jokic was the best player on the court. And this is another – this is something else that's interesting. All series long, Jokic has been kind of riding in the periphery. Now, he has, he has a very <coughs> – excuse me. 
he has a very good season average. He had a very good uh, series average going into that game four. He was averaging 20, 11, and 9 on over 50% from the field. Very good. Very like You can't complain about that. But playoffs are about scoring, and they're about defense. Jokic is a terrible defender, and the 20 points is not its not enough for someone who's won back-to-back MVPs and is probably going to finish in top three in this year's MVP voting. Now, Comes out, he scores 43 points on 58% shooting and 63% from three. Also chips in with 11 rebounds and six assists, and that's the game they lose. It's it's just weird how that works sometimes, but I did like to see that out of Jokic, but I also loved what I saw from Anthony Edwards. One more thing I should mention about this game, it just goes to show that that the Timberwolves are streaky, and I don't say that as a compliment. I say that as a condemnation. I'm taking shots at them when I say that. It goes back to having Towns and also Rudy Gobert and some of the other players that they employ. But this Timberwolves team was up 12 points with less than three minutes left, and the game went into overtime. They didn't score for the final three minutes, and they gave up 12 points. Like it's just, it's just so unacceptable. And it is also at the same time exactly what you expect from the Timberwolves whenever they're on the court. Now I I had picked I picked Timberwolves money line picked them on the spread as well obviously because they were getting spotted the points so I was happy from that perspective that they won but I wasn't surprised to see that happen and look this is just it, it's such a it was such a bad decision to bring Rudy Gobert in here unless they were planning this entire time to trade Towns and if you trade Towns I'm sure you can get some good pieces that fit I don't really love Gobert as a player I think his his impact is really not that much and you can see that from him having a negative plus minus in 70 regular season games but Timberwolves are going to get out of here this is going to be a five game series the Nuggets are going to win going back home my pick for the final game is Timberwolves plus nine I think Anthony Edwards you know he can be streaky as well he can be up and down but I think he's going to give you about 30 points and I think he's going to keep the game close knowing his season is almost over but Nuggets are going to win that game and they're going to move on to play the winner of the Phoenix Suns and the Los Angeles Clippers the next game on our docket here is guess what the Phoenix Suns and the Los Angeles Clippers now I want to start by saying Whoever it is, I mean, if the Timberwolves pull a shock comeback, fair play, but probably going to be the Nuggets. And if another team plays them beyond them, if so if the Suns get past the Nuggets, and if they make it to the NBA Finals even, whoever they play for the rest of these playoffs needs to write them a thank you card, needs to write the Clippers a thank you card, because the Clippers have taken more than their pound of flesh off of these guys. Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, averaging a combined 42.2 minutes per game. Now, Durant and Paul are old. They're both very injury prone. You wouldn't think about Durant like that throughout most of his career, but for the last four years, he's missed significant time in all of them. Paul seems to always get injured in the playoffs. And Devin Booker, yeah, he's young, but both him and Durant have played 40-plus minutes in every game, and they've played 45 minutes in half of the games in this series. That's just not how you win NBA Finals. And Monty Williams, I think, is a very good coach, and he's been to the NBA Finals. But you can see... Whereas everybody's calling out for these these in-game adjustments, his in-game adjustments are not playing his bench players. And I I don't blame him. He's getting nothing from the guys off the bench more times than not. Bismack Biombo looks like the best player off their bench. And it's interesting because when the Suns made this trade for Kevin Durant, a lot of people were talking about, but me especially, I I didn't want to call the Suns the favorites in the West because I said they have no bench. Now, when I was talking about that, I thought their bench was still going to be playing. I just thought they weren't going to be shooting the ball that well. I thought they weren't going to be able to provide much defense. I didn't know it was just going to become purely pretty much a five-man show on offense. Now, that five-man show, one of the best shows in basketball. 
these guys, that this is a testament to the Clippers, but also just credit to the Suns because of their talent. The Clippers have shut off pretty much every action in the offense. Like really all the Suns are doing right now is they're running some pick and rolls. If they can get a mismatch on Paul or Booker as the ball handler, then they'll exploit that. If they can get a switch and a mismatch on the Aiden, they'll throw it to him. But more times than not, they're just going ISO. And they're seeing what happens, and they're making it. I forget what exactly the number was, but I saw a stat that says Phoenix leads the playoffs by far in terms of average points scored on a per isolation possession. Like Booker, Durant, Paul, these guys pretty much just look unstoppable when they're going one-on-one with their defenders. And I can't really blame the Clippers for that. They started the series down Paul George. They later lost Kawhi Leonard through two games. I don't think Kawhi is going to play again in this series. I would love him to because I picked this series to go six, and it looks like it's going to end in five. But Kawhi is not somebody who's going to get out there because the season's on the line. Even if he can play, if he's not 100%, he has a track record. He's proven he's not going to go out there and play. So I have no reason to expect him to play, and I think the Suns are going to get this done in five. But one person I do want to credit before we move on, and I I really do need to put my hands up, and so do a lot of people, Russell Westbrook. I am sorry for coming at your head for so long. The past couple of years, you haven't been good. You've been really bad, actually. You've been inefficient. You've been a detriment to your team on both sides of the basketball. You've been turning the ball over. You've been moody and mercurial. I thought you were on your way out of the NBA. Not because you didn't have the skill to be in the NBA, but I thought you were going to have an Allen Iverson situation where you weren't going to accept your role and teams weren't going to be turned off by you. And I mean, I didn't think you were going to go play tur- in Turkey like Iverson did, but I-, I thought it was coming to an end. And you have been unbelievable in these playoffs. You're, you've been the best defensive player in the series by a mile. You're averaging 26 points, 7.5 rebounds, 7.3 assists on shooting splits of 46-41-88. Again, guys, this is, this is Russell Westbrook. This is not somebody you think of as a model of efficiency. from the three-point line, 88% from the free-throw line, including two huge clutch free-throws in game one to effectively seal the game before he made the game-sealing defensive play. It's awesome. He's been awesome. He deserves all of the praise in the world. All Russell Westbrook criticism is coming to an end for for the foreseeable future because he has just been so good. So, so good. Now, all that being said, the line is Suns minus 12, and I'm going to be riding with the Suns here. I, I don't care. That's a big spread. The Clippers, I think they're pretty much out of answers. They haven't been able to – they've had to shy away from using their big guys, their Zubatses and their Plumleys because the Clippers – excuse me, the Suns are exploiting them on the drop coverage, and they really just mostly don't switch them out. But anytime they do, it's barbecue chicken wherever they were. And then – when you've got the smaller lineup out there, like Ty Lue's playing five guards at some points, you don't have the length and versatility that Paul George and Kawhi Leonard would offer you. So would my lean be different? Even if they're having the problems with the drop coverage, if they could get George and Leonard out there, would my pick be different? Absolutely. But I'm going to go with Suns minus 12. They've won a couple of games in this series already by that margin. I think that's what's going to happen to them, unfortunately. Now, let's talk about Wednesday's basketball games. Now, I'm recording this on Monday afternoon, so I can't tell you half of the games, my picks for half of the games, because I still have to see what happens on Monday night before I can talk about what's going to happen on Wednesday night. But we are going to be able to talk about two series, and one of those is the New York Knicks versus the Cleveland Cavaliers. Now, I want to start off by saying I just simply don't think the Cavs were prepared 
for what the Knicks were going to be bringing to the table in this series. The Cavs had the best defensive rating in the NBA. They also played at the slowest pace of play. So I think they went into this thinking that their style is so unique and they're also so good at, at executing it that pretty much whenever they played a team, sure they might lose, but the teams weren't going to be comfortable in their style. I think they forgot that Tom Thibodeau was the head coach of the New York Knicks, one of the most, if not the most, hard-nosed guys. Like, this is nails and iron that we're talking about. This is this Tom Thibodeau. He would play his players 49 minutes a night in a 48-minute game if he could. The Knicks, the Knicks have just been outplaying the Cavs. I know they got blown off the court in game two, but other than that, it's been all coming up Knicks. Now, the Cavs are getting killed in part because their guys in the corner, their shooters, are not making threes when they need to. Again, a lot of this series is spending time in the half court, and Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland, even though they're sort of small for their positions, not sort of small, they are small for their positions, they're able to attract a lot of attention because of the diverse skill set they have and also because they both can collapse the paint very well. So they're kicking it out to these guys, but they're not making the shots. Karis LeVert, 31% from three in this series. Isaac Okoro, 20% from three in this series. Chetty Osmond, 25% from three in the series. It's just not good enough. And I'm not saying these guys need to turn into Robert Ory or Ray Allen or Ron Artest, guys that made a living off of hitting clutch threes in the playoffs. But you've got to be shooting 36 38% from the three-point line. That, that's just what it's got to be. When you're wide open where, there's so, where the points are at a premium because there's so much fewer possessions, you've got to hit your shots. Now, one person who has been hitting his shots, Jalen Brunson. Jalen Brunson is making his $25 million a year contract look absolutely silly. Again, this series is being played at such a slow tempo that the numbers that he has posted are actually a lot better than they look like. But with that being said, he's giving you 24, 5, and 4 a night, shooting 47%. And he's, <coughs> excuse me, he's doing it against a defense that isn't going beyond the pale but they're throwing all the tricks in the bag that they have at him. They're sticking six, seven, six, eight wings on him with seven foot wingspans. They're playing physical. They're knocking him to the floor. He's only six feet tall in a pair of basketball sneakers. He's not somebody who should be able to hold up against this type of physicality in the playoffs. Brunson has embodied that Knicks spirit, going back to the Ewings and the Oakleys and combining it with the modernism of the Thibodeau. And he is, he's, he's in a boxing match every time he goes out there. Like he is, he's pulling and giving up punches and he's coming out on top. He's been the best player in this series by a mile. Donovan Mitchell, you can say, you can rank him where you want, but when he's at his peak, Donovan Mitchell is freaking unbelievable. And he's one of the best playoff performers in NBA history. I don't care that he's never been to an NBA finals. That's just byproduct of the teams that he's been on. Look at his numbers. They're off the charts good. And Jalen Brunson's been better than him. Jalen Brunson is also covering slash saving the ass of Julius Randle. Randle is averaging 14.8 points and seven rebounds in this series. If he was the best player like he has been in New York for the past few years, they would not be up three to one right now. No, sir. I mean, if Randle was giving you 25 and 10 like he was in the regular season, this thing would be a wrap. It would have been a sweep. So the huge credit to Brunson. Got to give him credit where credit is due. It was a savvy move by the Knicks to get him over there. Brunson has just been so underrated ever since he got to the NBA. Think about it. He won National Player of the Year in college. And he was a national champion. He only gets drafted in the second round. Then he spends most of his days as a backup in Dallas. Now he's finally been given the chance to shine, and shine is exactly what he's done. I love watching him, and I love watching the Knicks 
it's just it's just a match made in heaven. And they've given the platform to shine, and he's he's returned the favor. So my pick for this game, with all of that being said, my pick for this game is the Cavs at minus five and a half. I know, I know. Look, that might not make sense. The Knicks, they can they can go cold on offense. R.J. Barrett just had a great game, which means I think he's probably not going to have the best game in the next one. Donovan Mitchell, like I was saying, he has one of the top 10 points per game in the playoffs. This is an elimination game. He's down 3-1. Donovan Mitchell, to his credit, was the driving force in a 3-1 comeback in the bubble against the Denver Nuggets. It was a, it was a series where Jamal Murray had 50 points. Mitchell had over 50 points twice. Like He's done it before. Now, I don't think they're going to come back to win this series, but – got them winning this game and i think the series is going to end in new york which is a little ironic because the knicks strangely are better on the road than they are at home but i think that's how it's going to play out and the last game on wednesday the game that everybody is talking about the sacramento kings versus the golden state warriors the warriors held serve at home they were down 2-0 they even it up at 2-2 that's what you expect from them they had one of the best home records in the western conference but they're now 2-22 and 22 on the road against teams that are 500 or better, and I think they're going to lose in Game 5. What we have seen from this Kings team is that they've been able to answer the call. They answered the call in both of the first two games. They didn't really have a chance in the third one. And then in the fourth game, Harrison Barnes had a shot at the buzzer, but Harrison Barnes isn't someone that I would put in that answering the bell category or answering the call category. I would say it's been your Foxes, your Monks. In game four, it was Keegan Murray. Davion Mitchell, I think, also has been stepped up his play. Sabonis has been all right. So anyway, Harrison Barnes aside, that's kind of my point. Harrison Barnes, take him out of it because I don't think he has a I don't think he should have a future in this Kings franchise. I've been really impressed with the Kings. And I think what you've seen as well, the Kings were one of the best three-point shooting three-point shooting teams in the NBA throughout the regular season. They're top 10 in percentage and makes. And they've been flat out horrible from three in this series, yet it's still 2-2 against the best shooting team in the NBA and with the two best shooters in NBA history. So I think as soon as they start to make some of their shots, they're going to be just fine. I could see this ending in seven, which was my, my pick before the series started. And I also placed the futures on the Kings to win the series like I talked about. And I could see the series ending in six, to be quite honest with you as well. The Kings had the best road record in the Western Conference. They're only one of two teams that made the playoffs in the West to have a winning record. And the other one was the Clippers. They were only 21 and 20. The Kings were 24 and 17. So they can win in a variety of locales. And they're also great at home. Uh, doing a lot of rambling here. One thing that I do want to watch for is Sabonis because I think that Draymond has done a very good job defending him and Looney has as well. I know Sabonis is scoring the ball fairly well, but he still doesn't have his offense. I wouldn't say that. He, he's a crafty guy who likes to use post moves and combine it with a little strength to get his shots. Right now, a lot of his points have just been scrappy, cleanup stuff. That's what you expect from a Jared Allen and a, and a Robert Williams and a Clint Capella. But that's not Sabonis's game. They need to get him firing. But I still think that Kings are going to win this game. I do. And because I think that, I'm going to take them to cover the spread of one and a half points. Really, any win, as long as it's not a one-point win, covers that spread. So that's going to be the pick. Um, one person that I do want to give huge credit to in the series, Davion Mitchell. And it's a testament to Steph's greatness that he has been so spectacular and effective in this series because Davion Mitchell has been all over Steph like white on rice. He is playing some of the best one-on-one -on -one defense that anyone in my lifetime has ever played in the game of basketball. Like, seriously. Though Steph and Poole, when he's guarding him, cannot get any inch of separation on him. They have to come on switches just to get off of him. He is He's going to earn a big contract. Like I would love to have him on my team if I'm an NBA GM because this is just 
stifling. He, he's he's short. He's about six foot. He's not quite stocky, but he's almost got like an NFL build. Like he's got a lot of muscle, but he also has maybe the quickest uh, lateral movement in the entire league because normally Steph and Poole are unguardable because they can make shots that are so crafty. They can draw fouls, and they're also sometimes they're they're strong, but they're also floppers at times. None of that has mattered against Davion Mitchell. Like he's right there, and again, Steph has still been the best player in this series by far. So it's a, it's again it's credit to Steph. He's awesome. I'm not saying that he's getting locked down, but I'm saying Davion Mitchell, you just can't play better defense than what he's doing. This is certainly the best defense anyone has played on Curry since Matthew Dellavedova in the NBA Finals. So all, look, round of applause to Davion Mitchell. I kind of I, I like seeing him play defense. He's one of those players that make defense look fun. So really enjoying him, guys. What I say? That was the last series of the NBA playoffs. And it's been just about a half hour. Drop some comments. Let me know what you think of my picks. And let me know if you disagree with any, which picks that you disagree with and why you think the other team is going to win slash cover the spread. That does it for the A block. And we're moving on to our B block here, which is the last block in our show because uh, maybe you didn't notice, but the A block took up a little bit to talk about everything. We're going to be talking about the NFL draft. Now, look, I'm not boots on the ground at the team uh, facilities, so I'm not going to be able to break any sort of inside information. So I'm not going to spend much talking about what we all already know. You know, I'm not going to talk about how Bryce Young seems to have consolidated that number one spot. I'm not going to talk about Jalen Carter supposedly having off the field issues, according to reports. Like, I'm, we can save all of that. I'm just going to give you some of my favorite picks and some of my situations that I'm monitoring going into the NFL draft. And my favorite pick going into this draft is the Philadelphia Eagles to select Bijan Robinson with the 10th overall selection. You can bet this for plus 850 odds. Why I love this pick is Robinson ran for almost 1,600 yards and 15 touchdowns in 12 games his last year at Texas. He's six feet tall, 220 pounds. He's a three-down running back. And not only does he have the three-down skill set, but he has the three-down durability. This is a big, strong kid. The Eagles have a need for a running back. Why, why not Miles Sanders, you might say? He plays for the Panthers now. Their starting running back in the depth chart is Rashad Penny. And no offense to Penny, he's a solid player, but you don't want him to be the bell cow in a run first and run often offense. You get Robinson in there, big, strong dude to pair with Jalen Hurts. Now you're really cooking with something. Running back, also one of the easiest positions to translate from college to the NFL and you get him on a pretty cheap deal, which you need considering you just paid the most money to Jalen Hurts that anybody in the NFL has ever received. And look, Robinson in there, he's going to be a top 10 running back in the league as soon as he steps onto the field. He can easily be a top five running back in a couple of years, a la Josh Jacobs. This is something that I think makes so much sense for the Eagles. It's staring at them in the face. You don't want Jalen Hurts to get injured again. He had to miss a couple of games at the end of the last regular season. He was banged up in the playoffs. All those third and fourth and shorts where you're sneaking the ball, you just turn around, you get that to Robinson, he's going to pick it up and he's going to be able to preserve your franchise piece that is Hurts. Makes so much sense. I really hope the Eagles do with it because I think it makes a lot of sense and I would like to I would like to tout myself as a genius. How about that? The vanity in me is coming out. Another domino that everyone is looking at, another situation that everyone's monitoring is Anthony Richardson. Where is he going to go? I'll tell you what. I think he's going number 11 to the Tennessee Titans. Now, if you want to bet this, you can get it for plus 200, which is the shortest of any position on the board. And I didn't know that. I didn't look at betting odds before I went and figured out where I thought he was going to go. I thought I'd made a pretty sharp decision here. It turns out it's the favorite. But it makes it's the favorite for reasons. It makes sense. 
Like the Titans, I don't think have any sort of real direction as a franchise right now. Yes, they have some solid defensive pieces, some that aren't so solid. It's a team that kind of gets injured a lot. Ryan Tannehill, you've already had your best chance to win anything with Tannehill, and it's it's not going to happen now. Derrick Henry is your best offensive player, but he's a running back in a pass first league, and he's coming off of a broken foot. You don't have a lot of weapons. The, the, the line could be improved. Mike Vrabel is a great coach, so I think they're going to win seven, eight games at worst just on the back of how intelligent he is and how much he how much he can motivate his teams. But I think this is a spot where you want to start to look to the future. Now, Richardson can come in, and he can play immediately if you want to move off of Tannehill. Might also save you some money. Or you can let him sit a year and then get him ready to go in the following years. Now, the Titans have shown that they are willing to invest in a quarterback like this, which is more sort of built around the physical tools and has the ability to run or at least be a mobile presence in the pocket because they just took Malik Willis in the third round of the last draft. Now, as I'm saying that, you might be wondering, would they really spend back-to-back first draft picks? Not first draft picks, but early draft picks on a quarterback? I would say yes. Richardson seems to be a generational talent in terms of physicality. His production was good, not great, but could he be crafted and molded into something better in the NFL? It seems like it. I mean, Jalen Hurts wasn't that productive of a college player until he went to Oklahoma. And of course, a lot of people's perceptions on Hurts changed at Oklahoma. But could this be a similar situation? Was Richardson waiting for a Lincoln Riley to untap all of his potential that we just never saw in college? It's definitely possible. And with the 11th selection, you know, you're not going to you're not going to have Bryce Young and CJ Stroud obviously. Some of those top corners are going to be gone. Maybe a top couple of offensive linemen are already gone. The the edge rushers are gone. I think it makes sense to get Richards in here. I think it's a good spot for him to go. One of my favorite, maybe my favorite long shot bet is for the the Buffalo Bills to select a running back with their first pick at 27. You can bet that just the running back position for plus 1400 odds. Now, of all of the players, if I were to make a guess, I would say it's probably going to be Jameer Gibbs by way of Georgia Tech and most recently at Alabama. Uh, he was he, This is a guy who's very productive, and he has a skill set that jumps off the page. You can see it immediately. A lot of it comes from his 4-3 speed, which he ran at the combine. But he's not just quick. He's somebody who can hit the hole, and he can explode out of it. Sometimes these fast players, they aren't always the best once you get him into real game situations. Gibbs is shifty. He can find holes. He can burst through them. This is somebody who returned kicks, so you know he's good in the open field. He's also very productive as a, as a pass catcher out of the backfield. If you put him in the backfield with Josh Allen, first of all, it takes a lot of the pressure off of his shoulders and a lot of the physical demand as well. Allen said during this offseason, he, he acknowledges and understands that he's not going to have a long career playing the way he is and taking the beating that he is. He needs to find ways to be productive without taking a battering. Guess what? You get a solid running back in there, somebody that the defenses have to honor. It first of all, gives you somebody to, t- to take the workload off your shoulder, but it also opens up the passing game more, specific, specifically the deep and intermediate routes to the Gabe Davises and the Stephon Diggs. You're going to have so much more that you can do with them. And instead of Josh Allen running quarterback power on third and four every time, now you can give it to Gibbs. You can give him a little screenplay. You can have him coming out of the backfield on a dig. Like there's so, there's so much stuff that you can do. And I think it just makes sense for them. I know it's plus 1,400. I know the Bills really do need to be looking at linebacker because they lost Edmonds. They could look at the offensive line as well, maybe even receiver. But look, it's a long shot bet for plus 1,400 to not even pick a player, just pick a position group. It's not a bad pick. Now, this is another uh, position group 
And it doesn't have long odds. It has pretty short odds. It's the favorite, but it's the favorite for a reason, and I really like it. It's, it's the New York Giants to take a wide receiver at 25th overall. You can bet that for plus 120 odds. Why I love this bet, and it also goes back to my whole stance on Daniel Jones. I think the New York Giants paid Daniel Jones one year too early. I think they should have franchise tagged him and run the risk that he was going to be frustrated with them before they gave him that huge $40 million a year contract. We still don't really know what Daniel Jones is. Yes, he's gotten better and his ball security went up, but Josh Allen's ball security went down when Brian Dayball left. So is it a product of Dayball or is Jones actually someone you can rely on? And Jones also had the sixth best quarterback rating, but he only threw 15 touchdowns in a 17-game season. That's not what you want from someone making $40 million a year, which is really not that far off of Patrick Mahomes. Like We got to look at this with objective lenses. Now, you get a top wide receiver in there, a Quentin Johnson, a Zay Flowers, a Jordan Addison. They can open up the playbook, and now we can really see what Daniel Jones is. And just look at what young wide receivers have done for other young quarterbacks. Look at what Justin Jefferson did for the Vikings offense. Look at what Jamar Chase did for the Bengals offense. If any of these picks that the Giants end up taking have anywhere close to that sort of impact, not only is the offense going to completely transform, but we're going to have a much better reading on Daniel Jones, and it's going to make the short and long-term future of the franchise a lot more clear. So I think it has to be a wide receiver for the Giants. I think it's a disservice not to take a wide receiver unless some super, super top-end guy happens to slide down the draft board. And then I'm going to wrap this show up right here, guys, by talking about my blockbuster trade idea. Now, myself and Tanner Kern came up with this in our mock first round NFL draft that we did for the WSN channel. If you guys want to find that search, ride the line WSN and YouTube, Spotify, um, Apple podcasts, and wherever you get your stuff from, you can find it. We also wrote more about the draft. We recorded the video and then we wrote an analysis of, of every pick on WSN.com. You can also go take a look at that one blockbuster trade that we discussed there. Here it is. I'm going to lay it out. I'm going to make it really dramatic because this is going to be the clip going on social media. You want to hear a blockbuster trade idea for the NFL draft? How about this? The Los Angeles Chargers trade the 21st pick and Austin Eckler to the Kansas City Chiefs for the 31st pick, the 63rd pick, a future first and a future second. Now, let me tell you why it makes sense for both sides. The Chiefs just won the Super Bowl with nobody, but guess what? They need weapons at some point. Travis Kelsey's 33 years old. He's an ageless wonder for now until he's not. He's going to regress at some point. And you can't get away with throwing the ball to Valdez, Scantling, Nicole Hardman, or not even Nicole Hardman, Kadarius Toney, and Sky Moore. You can't get away with throwing the ball to a bunch of nobodies at wideout. Travis Kelsey's getting older. You need somebody to step in there. You wanted Odell Beckham. Guess what? The Quentin Johnson, or whoever you want to take, is a decade younger, cheaper, and probably better than Odell Beckham is at this stage of his career. The Chargers also need to get off of Eckler. He requested a trade. But in doing so, you're not mortgaging anything that you have, and you're also not really losing a whole lot. You're recouping. You get another first-round pick, obviously, in this draft. You're recouping an additional second pick in the draft, and then you're building for the now and the future with the first and the second that you have upcoming. You can take that 31st overall pick, and you can grab someone like an Adetomiwa Adebaware. Apologies if I pronounced that wrong. This is a 280-pound defensive lineman, defensive tackle, that ran a 4-4-40-yard dash at the NFL Combine. 
What do we know about the Chargers? They love these physical freaks. Look at Derwin James. They love these sort of hybrid players that you don't really know what they are, but you get them in there and they have all the potential in the world. I think this makes so much sense, again, for the short and the long term of the Chargers, and it helps consolidate the Chiefs' offense. Patrick Mahomes is sensational, but he does need teammates. He needs people who are going to make plays, and you give him Eckler, you give him a Quinton Johnson, whoever they decide to take, that's exactly what it does. That is the blockbuster trade that I propose for this draft. So I'll tell you what we're going to do because we're going to head out of here. I am going to read your comments that you guys, you right there, you, wherever you are listening to this right now, you are going to leave me a comment and you're going to let me know what you would what you would say, how you would react if the Chiefs and the Chargers pulled off that trade deal. And after you've done that, again, make sure that you guys have liked the video. It helps me out so much. It takes no time out of your day. Also subscribe to the channel. We've got more podcasts coming out. We're going to have some cool short form clips. We're going to have uh, segments from the shows coming out. You want to be subscribed because you don't want to miss out on what I've got coming up. But that's going to do it for today's show. Thank you all so much, as always, for tuning in. And I look forward to seeing you guys on the next episode of The Sitch with Graham Mitchell. Thank you so much. Have a great day.